We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise. You made it to church. I'm so glad to see you. My name is Pastor Carolyn Haas, and my husband Peter and I, we planted Substance almost 18 years ago. In fact, it was 18 years ago. We were having pre-launch parties in the summer with a bunch of college students as we got ready to launch Substance Church. So it's been quite a journey over the last 18 years, and it is just such an honor to be with you today. We are in for such a treat because you guys know Pastors Jimmy and Irene Rollins. They're on the teaching team here at Substance, and Pastor Jimmy just preached a couple weeks ago, and it was amazing. But today, we have my dear friend and his beautiful wife, Irene, in the house. And can I just say, she's the way better half. You know, so you love Jimmy, you're really going to love Irene. Um, But what's really exciting about today is not only is she going to be preaching God's word and she's going to be sharing her story, but she just came out with her first book. It's called Reframe Your Shame. It literally just came out this week. Like, we are the first church to get the book. So it's for sale in the lobbies. If you're watching online, you can go on Amazon and get it right away. I am telling you, I'm just going to be really honest. There are some really boring books. When you open it and you're just like, blah, 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 blah. I already knew that. Yeah, boring. You know, this is ridiculous. Like, it is so good. It is so good. Like, I was freaking out reading it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, everyone I know needs to read this book. Like, you need to buy it for yourself. You need to buy it for your friend. And then you need to lead a small group this fall. Okay? So that's your assignment. I'm just telling you. It's so good. Um, But, Irene, it's let me tell you this. It's one thing to write a book. But I've actually watched you do the hard work, and live it so that you could even earn the right to write a book. And I'm telling you, like, when I was reading it, you know, it's, you've always been surrendered to Jesus, but you share things in this book that are like, you're, you're honest about skills that you didn't have. But you talk about it in a way that isn't, of course, isn't shame-based, but also isn't a victim narrative. And I think I was so refreshed, and it, just reading it, it just, it oozes freedom, it oozes life, it oozes, oh, I can do this, I can do this, there's hope, there's hope for me, there's hope for whatever I'm walking through. And so, um, Irene, you have worked harder than anyone I know. I'm serious. You've read more books, done more counseling, done more retreats, I mean, more than any, and you still are working hard to walk in the freedom that Jesus purchased for you but you've had to walk it out. You know, Leviticus 26.13 says that God broke the bars of our yoke and he enabled us to walk with heads held high. But so often, like we're still in the jail cell, the door is open, Jesus set us free. If we are a follower of Jesus, we have the ability to be free in him. But we're sitting in the jail and the door's open and he's like, come on, like you gotta walk out. You gotta walk out of that jail cell and walk in the freedom. And so Irene, that's what your book is, is you have led us and showed us how to walk in freedom and how to be courageous and how to be vulnerable and how to be bold. And so church, I cannot wait just for you to hear so we can learn from Irene today. So would you stand to your feet, give a warm substance welcome to Pastor Irene Rollins. No, don't sit down. Don't sit down. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Can we give it up for Jesus? Come on, y'all can do better than that. He's our Savior, our Redeemer, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's amazing. God, we thank you. 
And you guys have some amazing pastors. Who loves pastors? Peter and Carolyn Haas. They love you. They brag about you all the time. 18 years. Thank you so much for your yes. Y'all can have your seats. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here with my Substance family. And I just think it's so appropriate that I'm here with my friends when um, it's my first week of the launch. And you know what's crazy? I, if anybody who knew me back in the day knows that it's a miracle for me to be standing on this stage. And things I talk about in this book, it's a miracle I said them out loud. <laughs> But God has literally reframed my shame and given me a different perspective on life, a different angle. I used to look at my life through the lenses of shame and it held me back from being the best version of myself. So I wanna share it with the world that you can get free and then help set others free. And I'm not bragging on me, I'm bragging on Jesus about what he's done in my life, but it was a number one new seller, new release, whatever they call it. Number one new release this week on Amazon, which is really cool, because it just means that the message and the hope of Jesus Christ is getting out there, and people are shedding some shame. So if you're excited about that, and you're ready to unpack some shame today, can you give it up for Jesus? Let's go. If you're following along on the screens or pull out your Bible apps or take notes, write down Hebrews 12, one through two. That's my main text today. And before, actually, before I get into the word, I just wanna honor my husband, he's amazing. 23 years. The past seven years have been amazing. Prior to that, it was rough. True story. <laughs> Follow us on twoequals1.com and you can hear a little bit more about that because we wanna help people with marriages too just because of all we have been through. We wanna glorify the Lord with it. And I have three amazing kids, Kayla, Jaden, and Maya. I'm almost an empty nester, one more left. I'm gonna be an early empty nester, but they're my first ministry and my love, and they're amazing forgivers and have helped me reframe the shame of walking through a rough season. So let's get into the word. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Everybody say, looking unto Jesus. Say it louder. Looking unto Jesus. Come on, y'all, wake up. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, y'all did good, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Talk about reframing the shame of death. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor. I love the Lord, he's so good. He's our prototype for unpacking shame. And if you're taking notes, you can write down that title it's time to unpack the shame. And that's what we're gonna do today. It seems like a heavy topic. It might be a little bit uncomfortable in the room, but I'm okay with it. Because that's the part, that's part of becoming shame resilient. Everybody say shame resilient. 
All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy that is new every morning. Thank you that your word speaks to us, that you know where each and every heart is this morning uh, or whenever a listener or somebody watching this online watches this message, you know where we are. So God, rescue us. Rescue us from ourselves. Help us reframe shame. We honor your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of y'all know me as a mom, as a pastor, as a leader, but I also identify with several other things that I have been able to reframe and look at from a different angle over the course of my recovery over the past few years. Um, I am, my name is Irene, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, overcoming codependency. I'm an adult child of family dysfunction, and I'm recovering from the hurts, hangups, and habits that my family of origin was a part of. I'm also in recovery from alcoholism. Yeah. And there was a time I never, didn't think I'd ever be able to say that out loud, that's for sure. In fact, I had thought recovery was a bad word. Recovery is for those people, it's for addicts. It's the people who go to AA meetings, NA meetings, codependent anonymous meeting, over ears anonymous meetings. There's meetings for everything. <laughs> but it's for those people. But little did I know, six years ago, when I started my journey of recovery, that recovery applies to all of us. Because we all have hurts, hangups, or habits. We've been hurt, we've been betrayed, we've experienced loss, grief, we have been hurt. We sometimes get stuck in a hang-up like unforgiveness. Sometimes our habits, they can become destructive. We can get a habit to cope with pain, anxiety, and it's not just substances, guys. It can be process addiction. It can be gaming. It can be love addiction. I was in rehab with love addicts, people who hop from one relationship to another because that's where their self-worth and value comes from. See, addiction is just the symptom, but there's a root issue, a hurt or a hang-up, some shame that we haven't shed and unpacked that's attacking the nature of who we believe we are. Recovery means to return to one's natural state of mind, soul, and strength. Who wants to return to the way that God originally created you and made you? Recovery simply means to take back what has been stolen. Take back what has been lost. All of us have had something, whether it's our innocence stolen from us. We've all lost something. We're all in recovery. I remember in uh, January of 2013, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, Africa. Yep, pretty big accomplishment. It was huge, I didn't really wanna do it, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I did not wanna do it at all. Jimmy volunteered me, so annoying. Um, I was like, why don't you climb the mountain? <laughs> but we were raising money for water projects in remote parts of East Africa, so I was all in for that. But the lady I climbed with, her name was Cindy Zello, is Cindy Zello. 
Uh, she has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro before. She prepped me for it, told me what to wear, what to pack, what it was gonna be like, uh, all the experiences I would come into. Like, we went through five ecological systems, so I had to have layers, all kinds of layers for when uh, it was hot and the sun was burning you, but then I was gonna be in below freezing weather. Wasn't gonna shower for six days, which, <sighs> that was really troubling. But we were on a luxury climb, so we got to go to the bathroom in a toilet tent when we reached camp. <laughs> that was luxury. Because the rest of the time, you're going to the bathroom outside, in the elements. Oh, the guys had it so easy, it's so unfair. <laughs> but she told me, <laughs> when we were on that mountain climbing, she was telling me stories and talking. I believe that, that like, we've gotta get back to that, sharing stories talking about things from her past. Things that I'm like, people say that out loud? Like, people actually, see, I grew up with the no talk rule. You took things to the grave. You didn't tell people about things that happened at home. Because if you did, you were betraying the family. And we stayed stuck in the shame of whatever it was that we had been through uh, whatever our family had experienced financially. Um, if my dad lost his job, you just kept that stuff. You stuffed it, you stuffed it, and you stuffed it. And I'm walking on this mountain, and she, well, climbing this mountain, and she, um, hiking, and she tells me all of this stuff about her past and how much shame she had carried. And I started to think how heavy that must have been, how agonizing it must have been for her to carry the shame of her story. It was a mind-blowing story. I couldn't believe she admitted this thing out loud. She carried the shame of that. She didn't tell someone for like 20 years. It was crazy. And then I started to think about what I was carrying up this mountain. And it was heavy for me. Insecurity about who I was gonna be as a leader, as a pastor to my church at the time. I didn't feel like I was enough for my family. I kind of thought about the things I prayed for, my kids, my husband, they were stressing me out. And I didn't feel like enough. I felt like stress, I was overwhelmed with the stress and the responsibility of leading. I wasn't emotionally healthy or aware enough to understand the responsibility of leading a church. That's why you gotta pray for your leaders, y'all. They're carrying a weight that you will never know. Now, doing weddings, great, but then people would get divorced. Did funerals, so many people died. And then when it was people I knew and babies and kids, what? God, I was not prepared for the weight of that. I was weighed down by the stress of life, weighed down by the stress of flashbacks I was having from my childhood of sexual abuse that I had never said out loud. And it was coming up, these memories. And I was like, no, 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 that didn't happen. That didn't happen, that didn't happen. It's so ugly, it's gross. Oh my gosh, you can't tell anybody that happened. So I drank at it. And over a six year period of time, I had abused alcohol in my childhood and growing up, but in my early 30s, we have the freedom to do what we want and make choices in life. And I felt I was free, I had the freedom to drink. But here's the deal. It was not beneficial for me because over a six-year period, all of this stuff, this shame that was heavy, 
turned into a full-blown addiction to alcohol. Shame was actually the root issue that was weighing me down. I don't know what it may be for you, but we all experience shame. Have you ever had something go viral? You said something out loud, maybe you had road rage, ended up on YouTube, it's gone viral on social media. Maybe you're a young person in this room and someone has shamed you on Snapchat, talked about you behind your back. Maybe you lost your job or there's circumstances in your life that you feel shameful about. Your car got repoed. I don't know, maybe it's anger. You, these angry outbursts are so bad that you're literally causing trauma in people, your loved ones. Maybe you've relapsed over and over and over and you've said, you know what, I'm never going to do it again and then you do it again. I'm never gonna look at porn again. I'm never gonna text that guy back again and then you do it. Feel awful about yourself. Shame, we body shame ourselves. Shame separates us from God, causes depression, mental health issues. We have a hard time relating with God and other people because we're hiding. All of us have experienced shame and maybe you've been a shamer. Shame is contagious. You're so busy judging yourself. Your relationship with shame is so uh, real to you that you don't know and you're unconscious of the fact that you're constantly judging and shaming other people just because they sin differently than you. You're all high and mighty Christian now. We all got shame honest, y'all. We got it honest, but it's impossible to be honest when we hide in shame. Why? Because when we hide, we're just being like Adam and Eve. We had access to the Father, naked and unashamed and free, but then sin and the shame of it made us hide, just like they did, and we still do today. See, shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's the most powerful emotion. It's a painful feeling mixed with regret and self-hate. Yeah, it wakes up an inner critic in us where we shame ourselves and we believe the messages that the enemy sends that, you're, sends that you're not enough. What you've done is too bad to be forgiven. You are too far gone to be forgiven. God's grace doesn't apply to you. The enemy of our souls will send shaming messages about our race, about our hair, about our skin color, I grew up biracial, not white enough for the white people, not black enough for the black people. It was rough. And I was born in Africa, so I'm African-American. My dad was American, Caucasian-American. My mom was African. It was rough. People shamed me about my skin color, my hair. It's a powerful emotion because it says I am bad and it attacks uh, like how we feel, the essence of who we believe we are. We forget that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And shame is deadly to our self-esteem. It makes us believe that we're flawed, fun fundamentally flawed. It's the biggest enemy of us loving ourselves and allowing others to truly love us.
because we don't show up as our true and authentic selves because people might reject us. They might see that we're bad, see that we make mistakes and that we have failures. They might see or smell alcohol on my breath. They might know that I got pills in my bag at church, in my purse right now, someone in here, in your pocket. You just went in for toe surgery and you came out with a full-blown addiction to prescription drug and you're hiding it because you're in shame and you feel bad about you and who you are. Shame causes us to hide and isolate and think that we're all alone in whatever this miserable feeling is. Like we create our own misery, my counselor used to say. It's on you, we create it. Shame can become toxic like it did for me in my medical file at rehab, it said toxic shame. Depression, anxiety, led to coping mechanisms of drinking and abusing alcohol to medicate my pain, which then perpetuated the cycle of mental health issues, depression and anxiety. So every medication I took wasn't working because I was drinking. I stayed in fight, flight, or freeze. My nervous system was a wreck because you're supposed to experience the emotion of shame and look at it recognize it, speak to it, it loses its power and you move through it. But we get stuck in fight, flight or freeze and many of us have been walking around for 10, 20, 30 years carrying stories from our past that are holding us back from being the best version of ourselves. And we've been in fight, flight or freeze, wondering why we can't kick the addiction, why we can't stop using food to medicate our pain. Toxic shame causes mental health issues, and we reach for something to cope. I hit rock bottom in 2015, November 2015. I ended up in rehab, and this mountain experience, my husband gave me an ultimatum, the best thing that ever happened to me, because I went to a, a rehab, a treatment center that treated addiction, the symptom, through the lenses of trauma, the root issue. I learned all about the things codependency, emotional health, all the things that held me back, shame from being the best version of myself. And I thought back to when I was climbing this mountain in Tanzania, and I thought to myself how that mountain experience, how hard it was, how heavy that backpack was that I was carrying up the mountain that in my mind's eye was full of shame and everything I wasn't enough of, how it, it literally paralleled this new recovery journey I was on. The mountain of recovery that's in front of all of us. So the way, day we join Jesus, we're gonna be, like we never perfect anything in life. We're imper perfectly imperfect till we meet Jesus. Like, I don't want you to strive for anything, but at the same time, we are reaching and growing, always learning. We never reach perfection. And I realized when I was in um, rehab that shame had a story, my shame had a backstory, but it wasn't gonna be the whole, that it's, it's not, not only not the whole story, but it's not gonna have the last word. Shame is not gonna have the last word with you and it's not gonna have the last word with me. Let me tell you, Jesus was the prototype. 
In Hebrews 12, one through two, the writer here is giving us the antidote for shame. We see that people, it takes people this cloud of witnesses. We can't do it alone. We can't do recovery alone. We can't do life alone. We learn from other people's stories. Learn from other people's pain. Maybe the bottom can come up to you so you don't have to hit rock bottom because you begin to read, reframe your shame and you start to recognize the signs of shame, the signs of addiction. You become more aware of how your emotional world or your lack of knowledge of your inner self could be impacting you and leading you down a road where you are not functioning as the best version of yourself. You're running a race with a backpack full of stuff, bricks that are so heavy, bricks that are ensnaring us. Those bricks represent shame, hurts, hangups, habits. We can't run the race of life, as the writer is saying in Hebrews, unless we lay down the weight of shame and sin. We've got to unpack it. Everybody say, we got to unpack it. Are you tired yet? Are you tired of keeping secrets? Are you tired of feeling alone and isolated like you're the only one who's experienced what you've experienced? Well, I have some good news. You're not alone. Somebody's been there, done that. Jesus experienced the pain, the shame, the humiliation, hardship of life that we have, he came to this earth and experienced us, experienced it so he could show us that not only can you endure pain, but you can, it can strengthen you when you become shame resilient. And you can reframe it, look at it from a different point of view, and you can sit at the right hand of the Father, as the scripture says. He's our prototype. Who wants to experience freedom? Honest. (laughs) Who wants to experience freedom from what's holding them back? Who wants to get honest? Like, who's tired of hiding? True freedom is having nothing to hide. That's why I can stand before you today and brag on Jesus that I am six years, eight months, and 25 days sober. I can do that now. I can brag about the goodness of the Lord because 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells me that his grace is all I need. When I admit my weakness, his strength is perfected in me. It goes on to say that when we admit our weakness, his grace comes in. We become a portal for God's power, it says in the Passion Translation. Like, he uses us for his glory. He wants us to boast of the thorn in our flesh but we've gotta do the work to conquer the thorn. Then we can share about it. It took me two years and three months to share it with my church. I had to build some credibility and do some work, do some rehab, do some intense outpatient treatment. I had to go to AA, celebrate recovery, get in small groups, help sponsor someone, read all about this thing that almost took me out that I was unaware of. I was ignorant of being ignorant until I was aware that I was unaware. I know that sounds good, it's Maya Angelou. It's not mine. (laughs) Three ways we can unpack shame. 
Three ways that Jesus shows us that we can shed shame and get free. Number one, my focus is fixed on Jesus. Everybody say, my focus is fixed on Jesus. Verse two says, looking unto Jesus. Focusing our eyes on Jesus, it says in another version. See, shame has us focused on the wrong thing. When I got to rehab, I was like, woe is me. I am bad. I am miserable. God rescue me. Nobody can ever find out that they took my shoelaces, that this humiliating thing happened to me. Shame was making me focus on me. Like, oh my gosh, this is a part of my story. I don't want anyone to ever find out. No one, I'm going to take it to the grave. No one is ever going to find out about this. Look at how God has such a sense of humor. Shame. It wasn't until I start, shifted my focus, I opened my Bible, and the word of God began to awaken my faith when I read it. Psalm 23, he was with me, he is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. He is my comforter. In the book of Psalms, all over the place, it says he rescues me. He frees me from fear. He is there for me when I need it most. Psalm 27 was my favorite. I will experience joy in the land of the living. You mean this misery I'm feeling now? I could actually experience true joy? Something was awakened in me and I shifted my focus onto Jesus. It reminded me of being on the mountain. When I was climbing up that mountain, let me tell you, I was detoxing. I didn't know it had the shakes, tremors, was preoccupied about when I would get my next drink. I didn't know I was, had an addiction. All I knew was that I didn't feel good. I could have died. God's grace and mercy is real. I was so insecure. How am I gonna serve my church? I'm so not enough. Distracted by the cold, the freezing, below freezing weather. Like, we started at midnight to summit, we get to the top eight hours later, eight hours of cold and pitch black, and all I can see is my, what's right in front of me with my headlamp. If I look up, I see the cloud of witnesses, all the people with their headlamps going up. It seemed like an impossible feat. I'm never gonna summit this mountain. I started singing the song, Jesus at the Center of It All by Israel Houghton. I began to invite the presence of God into my misery. God, I gotta make it. I was shaming myself about failing and I hadn't even failed yet. <laughs> but the lady I was climbing with, she's like, Irene, stay focused. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on the goal. Put one foot in front of the other. She's like, I've done this before. Plant your foot where my foot goes. Step where my foot goes and we will get up this mountain because my pace was off. I kept trying to attack the mountain, right? Maybe if I hurry up, I'm gonna finish, but if you go too fast, you'll get sick. Altitude sickness, it's real. You gotta go slow up this mountain. She said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Stop focusing on your hurts, hangups, and habits so much that they distract you from the healer, the one who can free us all and redeem us, forgive us, and set us free. Focus on the healer. Everybody say focus on the healer. 
Because when we look to him for help, Psalm 34, four through five says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Do I look happy? I am really happy. I am radiant with joy because I have kicked shame in the face. No shadow of shame, he says, will darken your faces. So number one, we've got to focus on Jesus. Number two, say my faith is in the finisher. God is the finisher. Jesus is the finisher. We've got to take on the spirit of the finisher. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He wrote your story. He's not done writing it. He highlights and edits, erases, crosses out certain parts. He's here having me highlight my story today, but I bet you there's something you've never told anybody that if you reframe the shame of it, if you looked at it, talked about it so it could lose its power in counseling in a small group with a safe person, perhaps it's something that God will use to save the lives of many people. So let that sit for a minute. What if a next movement of freedom in breaking generational curses is starting with you admitting something? Verse two says, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured pain, it was hard. He endured humiliation, Recovery is hard, recovery is messy. Going to counseling doesn't feel good. Touching pain doesn't feel good. Getting corrected along the way doesn't feel good. Earning trust back and having to have, um, I don't know, a, you know, you, maybe you're in a situation where there was infidelity or a lack of trust. I had to give Jimmy my access to my phone where he, has, he still does. I have a, all my passwords. He had my cards, my money. Like, I had to earn trust back. It was hard. What's that thing? Life 360. He, knew, he still knows my every location because I was earning trust back. That doesn't feel good. It's hard. It was hard in rehab to finish because here I am in day 38. I had done everything they said to do, go to, go to counseling, learned about codependency, learned about all the things that caused me to reach for something to cope, learned about shame, learned about addiction, all of these things. I'm like, wow, now I get it. I get how I got here. But I wasn't going to admit I was an alcoholic. Oh, no. That would, that would mean I am bad. And that's like too much. It overwhelms me. But on day 38, my I'm in, uh, sitting in my psychiatrist's office. He's like, how do you feel about leaving soon? I was like, um, feel really good. I'm ready to get home and start my reentry plan. He's like, what about this whole issue with alcohol? How come you haven't admitted it? I was like, because no one's gonna tell me I'm an alcoholic. That's something I'm supposed to admit on my own. He's like, well, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You drink uh, to binge and blackout. You don't remember the day before. You started drinking and driving. Thank God I never killed anybody, hurt anybody, or got a DUI. Thank you, Jesus. You hide vodka in water bottles. You're fighting with your husband. You're isolating. You're a fake. During the day, you go to work and you smile but you go home and you binge drink. What's, what's the deal? When are you gonna admit it? 
I left there crying, full of shame. I had a sh what's called a shame attack. I was flooded with shame. That was my emotional response to it. Cried all day long. That night at rehab, I said, my name's Irene and I'm an alcoholic. I'm ready to admit it. I couldn't take it anymore. And it's like a grace came over me, like a big weight lifted off of me. All that stuff I had climbed up the mountain with, I let it go once and for all. And every time I say my name is Irene and I'm an alcoholic, all I am saying is that I can't drink because I altered my brain chemistry. I'm not saying I am bad. I'm saying that one is too many and a thousand isn't enough. I'm saying that I'm allergic to alcohol. That doesn't mean I'm bad. I can admit that I had mental health issues as a result of trauma and um, uh, abuse in my past. I have to take medication. That's my journey. And I'm not here to tell you whether your you know, mental health issue is this or that, or tell you whether you should drink or not, make this all about alcohol. No, we all have the freedom to do what we want. The question is, is it beneficial for us? Is it out of moderation in your life? Those are the things that I want you to get in your mind's eye, that perhaps the Lord wants to finish writing your story but he needs you to surrender it and give it up and admit that it's an issue before he can begin to reframe it for you. Isaiah 61, seven says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, their land, in their land, they shall possess double Double, who doesn't want a double portion? Everlasting joy shall be yours. On the other side of your denial is freedom. On the other side of your denial is uh, unpacking and shedding shame of your story and getting free and then it not being just about you but you helping others get free. On the other side of your shame and your denial is the breaking of generational curses. It's the generation that's coming behind you that's gonna do far better and greater things than us. They're gonna be more aware. They're gonna be more um, emotionally aware, emotionally healthy. They're gonna understand addiction. See, that's what my story is. God has reframed the shame that my the alcoholism is in my story. Now my kids are like, I'm gonna help other kids whose families have been through addiction. Talk about reframing shame. God is not done. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not gonna give up on you. His gifts and callings are irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind about us. He's gonna be faithful to complete the work he's begun in you. Are you ready to give it to him? Whatever that it is. My faith is in the finisher, and I'm gonna close with this. Jesus reframed my future. Yes, that deserves a hand clap. Jesus reframed our future when he died for us. He was in the garden, knew what was coming, the pain and humiliation of the death on the cross. But he got a picture of our salvation. He got a picture of eternity. He got a picture of us sitting at the right hand of the Father with him. He got a picture of you free. He got a picture 
of your family free. He got a picture of you helping set others free. He got a picture of seeing God's redemptive power be released over your life. And that kept him going through the pain and the shame and the agony of the cross. He was into this whole free reframing concept. So when recovery, when life gets hard and messy, just remember the work of the cross. Remember the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before you and are saying, guess what? Nothing that's happened to you is new. You can finish strong. That you, every day that we climbed this mountain and um, we would get to a certain place in like a camp on day one and we'd spend the night there, there was a huge crowd of all the, the guides and the guides would sing a song, Hakuna Matata in Swahili. No worries. There are no worries here, no troubles. Go slowly, they would say, pole, pole. Slowly, slowly in Swahili. I have a tattoo of a, of a mountain on my foot and I'm gonna get pole, pole next. Because when I think about the mountains we're all faced with, I wanna remember the pain I felt on the mountain in that darkness and isolation and I wanna get my eyes fixed on the healer fixed on the one who's saying pole pole, slowly, slowly, one foot in front of the other, follow me and you will be set free. Would you stand with me? I wanna pray for you. Genesis 50, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph saved the lives of many people. How did he do it? He reframed what his brothers, what Potiphar, what Potiphar's wife, that the people that sent him to the pit, to the prison, he reframed it. God's gonna use for good. He saved the lives of many people and he came into his purpose. The same thing applies to you. The same anointing on the cross that Jesus had when he died and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that's available to you. So if you believe you wanna unpack some stuff and leave it here and lay it at the feet of Jesus, I don't know what it is in your life, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? I believe all of us in this room should have our hands up because we're all raggedy ragdolls without Jesus. All of us have sin and shame, something that attempts to separate us from our connection with God. Father, I thank you. Let our hands be spiritual antennas, just reaching out to you from where our help comes from. Help us recognize the shame in our lives and the sin that's holding us back from being the best version of ourselves. Help us recognize it and have the courage to speak to it. When the enemy tries to remind us of things that you've forgiven us for, Help us speak to that thing and remind him that we are overcomers, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we celebrate the journey forward. And Father, I thank you that we're gonna do this thing, pole pole, slowly, slowly, as long as you're with us, we're good. Help us shed some shame today, Lord, and unpack things. Reveal to us what we need to unpack in Jesus' name. We love you, amen.
amen. Y'all, thank you for letting me share today. Love you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 